You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is episode 178 and I am Ralph Burns alongside my awesome co-host, Molly Pittman. And we are joined here today with a special guest from Social Media Examiner, socialmediaexaminer.com, Mr. Mike Stelsner, where he is going to spill the beans on a strategy that he's using to turn readers into loyal customers without any paid traffic. So I'm sure you as a listener of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast, you're not just here for paid traffic, but you're also here for traffic that is unpaid. You still have to pay for it in one way, shape, or form, whether it be time and or money or resources. But he's going to be talking here today about the social media examiner method and how he turns those readers into loyal customers for their products, their services, as well as their many conferences. So Mike, so glad to have you on for a second time on the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. Welcome. I'm doing pretty well. Is this the second or third time now? All of a sudden, I'm questioning my math. I listen every week, so I feel like I'm with you guys all the time. Well, we really appreciate that. Today, we're talking about some really cool stuff. We're going to create probably a headline that's a little provocative for our paid traffic listeners out there, a lot of which are relying on paid almost exclusively. We're going to talk today with Mike about the social media examiner method, how they turn readers into customers to the tune of over a million readers a month for the social media examiner website, which is amazing. And he's doing this without any paid traffic at all. So if you want to hear about paid traffic, this is not the episode to do it. But if you want to get more traffic to your site and learn a new way in which to do it, which we're going to be talking about here in just a second, you're in the right spot. Perpetual traffic, Ralph. Yeah, it's all about the traffic. It doesn't say whether it's paid. We do get perpetual traffic. That part is true. And it does cost us money. So maybe we do pay for it. Yeah, it was funny before we started recording, I told Mike that whenever I'm teaching a marketing strategy that's more of a long-term game, I always use Social Media Examiner as an example. And I'm like, what if you built a blog seven or eight years ago, however long ago, Mike, I don't know the exact number, but what if you had started a blog back when Social Media Examiner did and put the time and effort that they had, now you guys have over a million in readers every month. And I know there are costs there, but it's not cost per click. So really excited for those of you guys who don't know, Mike Stelzner is a friend, someone that we both look up to in the marketing industry. He's the founder of Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing World, which is an annual conference in San Diego. It's coming up this March. I'm thankful to be a speaker for the third year in a row. So, And Ralph is coming too. And Ralph's coming too. It's going to be a party. So Mike, thank you so much for being here and everything that you do for this industry. I know that it helps a lot of people. Thank you, Molly. We started in 2009, so I'm feeling really gray. (laughs) 2009, so nine years. 10th anniversary is coming up. Yeah, I'm excited about this too, because as Ralph said, we talk a lot about paid traffic. And most people would call blogging content marketing, which it is, but there's almost more to the social media examiner method. It's not just the getting of the traffic to the blog, right? It's also the 
conversion of those people to customers. And I think that's where most people get stuck here. They can generate the organic traffic if they put in the effort, but then when someone's reading their blog, they're just not quite sure how to turn that person into a lead or a customer. So really excited about today. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to traffic, there really is no such thing as free. And if you have not visited the Social Media Examiner site at socialmediaexaminer.com, definitely go to it. I've been a guest on Michael's podcast, and it was amazing to me the depth that they went into just one episode to create that content, all the links, all the, you know, the images. I mean, I sort of was embarrassed as to how we actually produce, like these guys know how to produce high quality pillar pieces of content. I was super impressed with that. And I'm super impressed with the content that they put out almost daily, it seems. I mean, obviously, if you're following you guys on Facebook or Twitter or any social media, but also really coming back to the site itself, it's such a high quality site. And no wonder it's been a huge success over the last nine years, which is an amazingly long time in this industry to be alive and to thrive. So congrats. And Mike, kind of along that thread, we didn't discuss this the last time you were on, but I'm curious, can you give us a little background? How did you start Social Media Examiner? Where did this come from? Well, thank you, first of all, for all those kind words. I started it, well, my prior life, I was a writer and I wrote a book called Writing White Papers and started consultancy where I would write white papers for a lot of big businesses that everybody's heard of, like Microsoft and FedEx and Hewlett Packard. The white paper guy. I was the white paper guy. <laughs> yeah. But in the process of writing for these brands, I began to notice that, and by the way, back then, blogging was a big deal. That was kind of the early days, if you will, of social, right? Which is that people could get really well known if they just simply had a blog. And my first blog was my personal blog about writing white papers. And I noticed along the way that you know, in the 2007-8 period of time, I noticed that every time I would write an article about social media for some of the big pubs back then, like Copyblogger or Marketing Profs, those articles would be the number one article for like the whole year. And I started thinking to myself, hmm, what's written about social media goes viral because of social media. Maybe I should go ahead and try to secure a blog and start writing on social media. Got socialmediaexaminer.com, immediately trademarked it, assuming San Francisco Examiner was going to come sue me because I was using the word examiner. <laughs> and, and I went out and I just recruited a lot of my writing friends because I had built relationships for years with writers. And back then, everybody was writing about their opinions about what sucked about social media. No one was actually writing how-to content. It was literally rare. So I just said, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to write the how-to stuff. Because it seems that's the stuff everybody wants anyways. It took off. And in the beginning, it was me writing one article a week. And then I had a couple of contributing writers who were writing one a month. And we were publishing about two or three times a week. But man, we're talking like in a matter of months, hundreds of thousands of people were coming to read the site. And it was trending everywhere. Back then, there were sites like Delicious and Dig and all these other sites that would kind of lift up popular content and we would always rank. That's kind of how we got started was just writing how-to content about social media marketing. So Mike, did your business pretty much start as a blog? No, the business, believe it or not, was my writing business. So this was a side project. Okay. This was a side right. hustle. So right. I wasn't really making money off of this. But of what I did do 
in my other business before I started Social Media Examiner is I decided to do an online conference. And back then, that was something nobody had ever heard of before. So in 2007-ish, I started an online event called White Paper Success Summit or Copywriting Success Summit. My second one was in the spring of 2009 and was called Social Media Success Summit. And I got this guy that was an upstart named Gary Vaynerchuk to be my keynote. And yeah. and then I got other, that? yeah yeah and back then <laughs> he was known for wine that was his thing you know he was wine library TV and then other people like Mari Smith I had about seven or eight people it was a webinar style thing and it just went crazy and a lot of people like thousands of people paid to come here webinars online kind of organized like a conference so when I started Social Media Examiner I decided to fund it through doing these online trainings. So I would do three a year. One was called Facebook Success Summit. Another one was called Social Media Success Summit. And they were just all the brightest people coming to teach you. And it was all done online. So anyone in the world could participate. That's awesome, Mike. I had no idea. <laughs> and it made a lot of money. I made $1.4 in the first year running Social Media Examiner. Wow, fantastic. Wow. Impressive. Now you guys know. Eventually, I came out with a podcast called Social Media Marketing, which came out about six months before a conference called Social Media Marketing World. And that podcast is still running for more than six years in a row every single week. We also have a second podcast, which is part of our live show called the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. And we also have a documentary called The Journey. And you know, we're just publishing nonstop. So I we, love we, the journey. Yeah, we just started as kind of a blog, but we evolved into many different mediums. Love it. So sort of focusing on this content side, right? This blog, this social media examiner method that we're really talking about today. How did content become a key strategy for the business's growth? I mean, it sounds like you kind of started with the blog, right? Here's the strategy. Great content plus other people minus marketing messages equals growth. Now, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but the philosophy I wrote about in my second book called Launch, great content is the kind of things people want to read and they want to share and they want to save and they want to print. We kind of had that figured out. You could say that's part of my DNA because I was a writer. I had that part licked. But the plus other people part of it was kind of the key that connected the two things together. So I would be very strategic about recruiting writers that were very, very smart but also had their own tribes. And the same thing is what you guys do in your podcast, right? You bring other people on your podcast to bring their knowledge to your audience. And that plus other people thing is really the key to everything about what we did at Social Media Examiner. And then the minus marketing messages, we never put ads on Social Media Examiner. Mm -hmm. uh, we did for a couple of weeks and then I realized there was no money in that. So we shut it down. So you won't really see ads for anything other than maybe our product, you know, which whatever we happen to be selling at the moment. And I believe that when you're creating content, if you inject ads or you inject a call to action at the end of the content that's designed to sell, it's kind of like when you're flying an airplane and it's coming in for a landing and, you know, they pop the wings a little bit to slow down the momentum of the airplane from 600 to like 150 miles an hour. And I feel like when you start injecting ads into your content, what you end up doing is you end up sending the message to the recipient that this is not what I thought it was. You know, this is actually something different. This is marketing in a mask designed to be mm -hmm. content. So I've always been a purist when it comes to content, design the content for the tribe 
don't mm-hmm. put marketing messages in it. Instead, figure out a different way, which I can talk about if you want, because there's definitely another way. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and I want to throw something in here in terms of even this show, we've been going about three and a half years. We just started putting ads just for digital marketer products. We started running those on this show only a few months ago, right? So for three years, <laughs> you know, we would make calls to action to tell people we were speaking at events or things that were relevant, but no ads, just goodwill. And I think now that that relationship's built, even though we throw some ads in for digital marketer, it's more exciting. I agree. Right? Because you have momentum on your side, right? Exactly. But yeah, Mike, tell us what was the other side of that that you were talking about? Yeah. So the way that we ultimately turn customers, I mean, readers and prospects and passive, you know, people that are reading into actual prospects and customers was through email acquisition. So the idea Mm -hmm. here is that When people would come and they would read Social Media Examiner, we would offer them something and we would also say, don't miss a future article from us. So it was the combination of the offer plus the future articles that got them opted into the newsletter. And we still add 15,000 email subscribers a month to our email list. So a couple hundred thousand new email subscribers a year. And we've always had that as kind of our core strategy, which is give the content, offer more of the content along with some sort of report. So in our case, we've been publishing for 10 years, the social media marketing industry report, which is something we could charge for, but we give it away for free if they decide to get on our newsletter. And then three days a week, and it used to be every day, in the olden days, every single day, Monday through Saturday, we would send an email with the articles of the day. And people would get acclimated to feeding at our trough. Does that make sense? They became to know us as a resource that could help their job, their marketing and their business. And then when we had something to sell, we would email blast. That was the way we would communicate with our core audience. And that was the main way that we sold. Hey guys, it's Darren here. I've got a quick announcement before we get on with the show. So we are launching a new podcast on our channel. It's called Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. So I want to give you a quick sneak preview. Let's take a listen. This is your seat at the table. You're listening to the Business Lunch Podcast. A lot of people ask, how did Business Lunch get started? And it's kind of interesting. It started because I wanted to do a podcast, but the idea of sitting down at a desk and recording every single day for 30 minutes or an hour just seemed kind of daunting and overwhelming. And also, I didn't think that it would be that interesting compared to having a peek into how we do business on a regular basis. And most of the best business deals, the coolest things that we do happen outside in meetings, not behind a desk, not behind a microphone. So what we started doing was uh, the very first time we're sitting at a restaurant called Rancho Valencia and Rancho Santa Fe, and we were having breakfast and talked about these really, really cool things. And I asked him at the end, I said, hey, that was just awesome. Would you mind sharing that in a summary basis with me if I take a video of it? And they were like, yeah, no problem. So we recorded the videos and I posted them up on Facebook on my personal page. People went crazy for it. They were like, this is so cool. It's like kind of being a fly on a wall. And that was the genesis of Business Lunch. 
So you can go to subscribe to Roland.com, take a listen, and please hit that subscribe button. And I promise you, you will be glad. So again, go to subscribe to Roland.com. At what part or what point did you realize, well, all right, I'm giving all this goodwill. And we certainly have followed this method for sure on this podcast, as well as Facebook did this for years and years prior to them actually having advertising. It's the same kind of thing, but very different in the way that you're doing it. What's the zero moment of truth? Like, Where is the right time in that nascent relationship to finally sort of flip the switch and try to sell them something? For us, it was 10,000 email subscribers, which we got there in 90 days. Okay. So in the sequence, I become an email subscriber today. I'm going to be getting content from you. Obviously, you're delivering value in advance. Yeah, there is no sequence with us. So when you become an email subscriber to us, you're going to get our newsletters, which are Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you're a new subscriber for the first 10 days, you'll be omitted from any marketing messages, any overt marketing messages, because we want you to receive pure value in the first 10 days. And then after that, in addition to those three messages, you're going to receive some messages from us about who we are, what to expect, that kind of stuff. The fact that we have a podcast, but it's just all about more free value. It's more about like, here's all we can do for you if you want it and it's free. And it's a lot less about here's some stuff you can buy. Yeah. I want to make a clarification here because when you were talking earlier about having ads in your blog post, my mind went to any call to action at all, right? And I think you meant other people's ads, right? Or ads that are, hey, go buy this thing. But you are using, you know, an overlay or I think I've experienced- Yeah, you could call them- Yeah, we do everything possible to get people on our email list. And you could call that an ad, but I don't think of that as an ad. I think of that as a free additional- Yeah, it's a call to action. It's a way to continue the relationship with us. Of course. And you know what's interesting? When I was a digital marketer, this was definitely a theme for the DM blog too. Whenever we would put more ad-like calls to action, like say the post is about Facebook Messenger, and then there's a big ad in there to go buy a $500 course, right? That didn't work as well as hey, download this Facebook Messenger quick start guide, right? Right. So it's easier. It's less commitment. You're just asking for an opt-in, but you also want to make sure that that lead magnet is relevant to what they're reading and your site's about social media. So the social media industry report makes perfect sense. But I did have another question too. So when it comes to building your blog, you talked a lot about other people, right? Mm -hmm. So Uh, What you mean by that, I think, is having other authority figures in the space write and then promote the content. Yes and no. In the beginning, it was like, okay, we're just getting started here. Let's all agree that we're going to promote each other's stuff on our site. Social Media Examiner was a movement. It was kind of like, hey, we're going to be the free place. You can get everything you want to know about social media. And there was no other place to get that. And people were chopping at the bit to want to be part of it. So all the early authors agreed to retweet other people's content. As a matter of fact, even in the early days, I would send them private DMs with, here's a tweet if you want to share it. That was really important in the beginning. Then we got to a certain point where it's like, okay, we don't expect anyone of any authority to ever share anything, period, anymore. And that includes you guys. If you show up on my podcast, we might send you a little email that says, if you want to promote it, here's some stuff, but we don't expect it. You're not relying on it. We don't expect it. We don't rely on it. 
because you get to an inflection point where there's not much anyone can do compared to what we've built. You know what I mean? Because we promote the heck out of it. Of course. So the key strategy here is the other people have to have something in it for them. And the something in it for them, in our case, was everybody wanted to be in front of our audience. Everybody wanted to get more well-known. So if you have something you can offer someone, which is more fame, more exposure, those kinds of things are invaluable gifts that you can give to someone if they choose to write or be on your podcast. So that's where the other people comes in. And even to this day, most of the stuff on our site is written by contributing authors not by right. staff. So Mike, along those same lines, just thinking from a traffic standpoint, how much do you guys worry about optimizing for SEO and keywords? I mean, I know you Google anything around social media and usually you all are the first site to rank. Well, so I there wish... has to be some strategery there. <laughs> there is, but I'll be very transparent. It's not as sophisticated as you would think. We don't have an in-house SEO expert. We don't have an external SEO expert. We just pretty much know what our audience is interested in, try to write headlines that are searchable type of headlines, and do just what we feel is best. We optimize for humans first, I guess, is the best way to say it. And look, you know SEO, just like social media, is in constant flux. And yeah, we're hoping to really master that, but we're fighting algorithms, Molly. (laughs) Yeah, There's only so much you can do. Let's be honest. If Google doesn't like you, it ain't going to happen. Algorithms are hard. Yeah. yeah they change. <laughs> I, I, they no, do. Mike, I love that answer because there's definitely technical stuff you can do in their strategy around SEO. But whenever that's your first focus, it's always the most boring content ever, right? Like I had someone ask me the other day, I was writing a blog article and they were like, what keywords are you optimizing for? Well, first, I'm just optimizing for whatever knowledge is in my brain that I need to get out to these people to help them, right? Like the human to human thing that you were talking about. And then as that gets distributed and you get more more site visitors and they stay on your site for a while, then you're starting to build that authority with Google that isn't relying on the keyword, how to do social media, right? It's well, your site you. in general. We're uh, very analytical. We definitely study Google Analytics every day. And we also study thousands of our readers in an annual industry report, which there's a lot more stuff we ask in that survey that never makes it into the report that we use to come up with an editorial calendar because we know exactly what the pain points of our readers are. We know exactly what their struggles are because we have all these different mediums and stuff. We're in constant communication with them. So we're writing articles that are exactly what they're struggling with. And then what we do is whenever we email, we check to see how many people actually click on that darn thing. We don't even share those things Mm -hmm. on Facebook anymore. You know, we just pretty much rely on email and organic and RSS readers and stuff. But the moral of the story is it's all informed by knowledge and data that we're collecting constantly. So we know that our audience is interested in these things and we know exactly what they're not interested in. And we just don't write about those things. So on that, the research part of things, and I'm looking at one of your more recent blog posts on LinkedIn dynamic ads, just so happens you folks wrote a post on that within the last week or so. Lo and behold, it's ranked fourth or fifth for LinkedIn dynamic ads. So you're probably outranking LinkedIn, Mike. <laughs> well, they're just above you, but you're there with a bullet. But the point is, is like if you are talking about you can 
serve two masters here though too and we we certainly see this you know digital marketer and you know whenever we create any new content for some new concept if you can get ahead of the competition on that new thing messenger marketing was one i think which was definitely a targeted keyword you know we came out with that type of content here on perpetual traffic you can serve two masters so you are giving informative information about linkedin dynamic ads and it's a great it's Blog just, a, it's a way. really long tail. And the reality is that 90% of the traffic comes from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles, not just a few. Right. And that's the reality is it's a machine and it's all about really, our research shows us that, for example, being in position one versus position two versus position three, like the pie gets so small when right. you're in position four, it's like, we're talking like maybe 3%. You know, like Mm -hmm. the spoils really does go to the people in the number one and the number two slot. If you're on the first page of Google and you're in the number six slot, you're probably not getting any traffic at all from the research we've been able to find. So it really is kind of one of those games we just have to decide whether we want to play and who are we serving. You know, we are serving not just people that are researching on Google, but we're serving a tribe that we happen to already own. So for us, it's predominantly about making sure the message gets to the tribe that we already have. And even though Google is a huge part of it, it's a hard game to play. Yeah, for sure. I love that you're saying this back to a conversation I had a few weeks ago. Basically, this company was asking me, how can we figure out exactly what our blog is doing for the business, which is a legitimate question, but wanting to make sure that everything is so keyword optimized and Like I said earlier, that's important, but you lose so much of that human aspect. And I love that you guys create content that isn't for Google sometimes, right? It's like, this is just something our audience needs to know. And that's really powerful, right? It's sort of how you continue the relationship with them so that they do come to social media marketing world and so that they do join the society. But Mike, could you dive in a little bit? So what does this look like? You don't have to go super specific into who does what, but what do the logistics of this editorial calendar look like for your team? Like, I know you look at data and what people respond to and then plan, but I can give you a high level. How does that work logistically? So we have a news show that comes out every Friday called the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, which you can find on every conceivable channel, podcast, video, live video. And we have a private group where we have a bunch of our staffers that are combing the news. And then we have a news staff meeting on Thursday mornings where we decide what topics we're going to talk about in the news show. We usually only pick two or three, maybe four. And then we bring on experts and we talk live about what these things mean. And then what we do is, depending on what happens during that show, we're kind of measuring the vibe of the audience and the tribe. We might end up posting a couple things on Facebook. What do you think about this? For example, right now, LinkedIn is working on Instagram stories kind of thing. So we might ask, do you ever envision yourself using LinkedIn stories in the way you do on Instagram? You know, And we'll see whether or not people have an adverse reaction or a positive reaction. Then all that data kind of goes to our editorial team. And then they take a look at the big picture stuff, like how interested is our audience in things like video in general? How interested are they in LinkedIn? Is this something we should commission a writer to write about? Yes, it is. Okay, let's do it. And then within 10 days, we'll have an article published. That's the process. And then scaling back at a bigger picture, we know, for example, Facebook ads is a very big topic for our audience. So there's a good chance when anything major comes out with Facebook ads, we're already on it. We've got Mm -hmm. someone working on an article on it. 
So we just know what those topics are that our audience is interested in. And then by every Tuesday, we have all the articles ready for the following week. I'm writing the headlines and the openings, and then they're ready to be published for the following week. Fantastic. So it's sort of a mix of, I know this from your blog, evergreen pieces that here are 10 steps to setting up a Facebook ad, right? Mixed with, oh my goodness, did you see that Facebook just launched this new feature, right? Like, are you trying to balance newsy articles with more educational articles or do you guys worry about that at all? We don't ever come out with news articles. Instead, we come out with articles on new tactics based on new features coming from the social platforms. So like, here is how to do X. We do have these guides that you'll see if you scroll down on the homepage of Social Media Examiner, you'll see these cool little graphics for all the major social platforms. And in there, we have a lot of evergreen content about the basics of how to set up an ad, how to pixel an audience, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's not really what our core editorial is. Our core editorial is pretty much how-to articles on topics that are either just rolled out or been out in you know the last month. Awesome. Mike, I know Ralph's going to ask you a question about a different topic, but kind of something controversial that you guys did. We're excited to touch on, but just one more question here. If you were to go back to 2009, would you do anything differently with your blog or how you've monetized it? I don't think so. It's hard to believe that. To be honest today, blogs it's not the sexy thing anymore. Nobody seems to quote unquote think people still read, but the reality is that actually people still read. It's just the social platforms that don't want you to read. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I would still have a blog today. If I could go back, I probably would have started the podcast even earlier because I would argue that the podcast was one of the most important things that I did. Might've started the conference a little bit earlier, but I don't think I would have changed the order of the things that I did. Love it. And again, guys, blogs are long games. And the reason that we don't see a lot of interest in blogging necessarily from an educational standpoint is they are a lot of work. (laughs) They certainly are. And consistency is so key. My question is that, I mean, you've built this tremendous website and blog with It's got to be thousands of articles at this point. Yeah, I think four or 5,000 articles. Four or 5,000, which is amazing. I mean, that is the long game. Can someone that listening today say to themselves, oh man, I've never actually been over to socialmediaexaminer.com. I'd like to build something like that and become the authority in the space. Yes, absolutely. It can be done. Yeah, it's a multi-author blog. That's the key phrase that we used to use back in the day. The idea is to get multiple authors surrounding on a topic. Why isn't there a messenger blog? You know, you've got a couple people that are doing bot blogs, but they're owned by a bot company. Why can't there be a blog all about messenger and have everybody in the industry writing about messenger and bots. There totally could be. The reality is that whenever anything is complex or new or changing, people need a resource that shows them how to do it. And they don't want to have to wait for it, which means they don't want to have to go through a video course. They would ideally love to read something. So anybody who has a course and doesn't have a blog, shame on you because you're missing out. You know, everything that you create should be written in a blog post and then could be repurposed into a course because you're just losing out. You're just letting someone like me take all that traffic. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mike. And especially when it comes to niching down a little bit, I always think about your blogs about social media. And so 
people trust what you have to say about social media, right? And if you think about it, if you want to learn Messenger, which is a subset of a lot of these topics, of course, you would still trust the Social Media Examiner blog and the Digital Marketer blog, but a Messenger blog can go so much deeper on the topic right? And it's like, well, I want to hear this information from the messenger blog. So I love that concept of, yeah, blogging and organic traffic are more competitive now. But think about new and emerging industries or mediums that people are starting to search, right? And you're completely right about, I helped Minichat build a blog, but they're a bot tool, <laughs> right? Of course, they're going to be blogging about messengers. So really interesting. Yeah. And look, it doesn't just have to be about a tech or a platform. It could be about a process. It could be about a group of people that share a common interest in any topic. It could be about an industry that you want to create that didn't exist. I was the very first person in the world to call the industry that I'm in the social media marketing industry. Because in 2009, I came out with something called, the, or 2008, I can't remember, the Social Media Marketing Industry Report. And everybody's all, we're an industry? We're an industry. Wow. <laughs> you brought them together, Mike. And we're definitely an industry now, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, there are just a few people doing this stuff now. <laughs> That's crazy. So one of the statistics that I always sort of throw out there, which you can probably correct me whether or not this is right or wrong, is that most people, when they're starting a blog or any sort of content marketing strategy, they typically give up at about the two to three month mark. Maybe that's an old stat, but obviously you guys have kept with it for nine years. You've created four or 5,000 pieces of content. If I'm starting something on my own, maybe a messenger blog or whatever it happens to be, any ideas that are sparked by this show here or outside of it, like what are the things that you really want to keep in mind so that you can get the payoff or you can start reaping the rewards? Don't assume you know what your audience is interested in hearing from you. Uh Ask them. That's been the crux of everything that we've done is we've always said, tell us what you want to learn more about. Tell us what your pains and your struggles are. And you guys know I'm speaking to the choir here because this is marketing 101, but it applies to content more than ever. So when you ask them and they tell you, and then you give them what you want, guess what happens? Magic. But nobody does it. You know what's funny? So simple. When I was a digital marketer and doing more blogging, you've inspired me to start blogging again, by the way, Mike. But when I was trying to come up with ideas for new articles, right? Of course, I would look what's new in the industry. What am I having success with? But you know where I would get the best ideas? I would go to the comments of old blog posts that I read and just sort of figure out some themes, you know, like where is this conversation going in the comments? And that can, like you said, listen to your audience, right? That can lead you to new pieces of content that link nicely to stuff that you already have. So definitely ask or research or look like where are the holes? Where are people asking questions? Because if they're asking questions, those are questions you could answer in another piece of content. So Mike dropped this one before we started recording here today. Why is it that you shut down your Facebook long form videos specifically or all videos? Yeah. So it feels like forever ago, but about three or four weeks ago, 
I went on Facebook and made a little two-minute public service message where I said, we've decided to cancel three shows off of Facebook, three video shows. One was a seven-minute show called The Journey, and the other two shows were 40-minute live shows. And basically, I declared that no one is watching video on Facebook. And instead, I said, Facebook is like a highway. And when was the last time you drove down the highway and pulled over to watch a video on a billboard? Never. And I said, this is the reality of Facebook is that no one, no one watches video on Facebook. People went berserk and thought I was mad, especially all my Facebook friends. But then I came out and I did a half an hour interview on our live show explaining the data. And the reality is as follows. On Facebook, less than 1% from our experience actually watch the video. And we looked at all of our data. We looked at our retention graphs, which is a really important graph everybody needs to look at. And we noticed that the vast majority of people would drop off in the first less than a minute. And then when we looked at the people that actually clicked to play, which is the key intention, right? Because on Facebook, when you click a video, you can let it play in the background as you keep scrolling, right? And that's that drive-by mentality. You're kind of listening to it, but you're not really paying attention. The reality was that our videos almost across the board, only at best 3% would click to play. And of the 3% that clicked to play, at best 22% would get to the one minute mark. So to give you some metrics, <laughs> take 5,000 views, 3% of that is 150 for those that are math insensitive. Okay, 22% of the 150 is about 30 at the one minute mark, okay? 30 out of 5,000 at the one minute mark. For a show that I was producing where I have a full-time guy on the other side of this wall, that's all he does is produce this show. And the other two shows, you know, we're spending a lot of money. So we just decided, farewell, Facebook, hello, YouTube. And we moved the journey over exclusively to YouTube. And guess what? The same video, Molly, you're going to appreciate this. The same video on Facebook, the same video on YouTube, 56% would get to the end of the same video. But we would get about 1,000 people watching it. So about 500 people would get to the end of the video. So we would have a views of about 1,000 people, 500 would get to the end of the video versus about 10 to 15 would get to the end of the video on Facebook. So you do the math on that, it was a really easy decision for us. Yeah. Facebook, they call them views, they're not views, they're impressions. Repeat after me, they're not views, they are impressions. If Facebook would adopt YouTube standard and not report any one less than 30 seconds, do you know how many people would be upset with Facebook right now? But marketers have a hard time with those numbers. They say, oh, but but look at the thousands that are watching. And I'm like, forget about it. Yeah, Mike, I had this conversation with Tom Breeze last week and he's like, we're measuring three second versus 10 second. Like the, the measurements don't match up, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube to Facebook. But I think the key point here is how consumers use these platforms, right? So he also told me that- and That's ads, by the way. So we should clarify, it's 10 seconds for ads, not for, for ads. Money. Yes, yes, for Go ads. Ahead. But he also told me that on average, when someone goes to YouTube, they watch 40, 40 minutes of content. 
That's pretty insane. And the reason for that is YouTube is a place that people sort of treat like TV now, right? Like they will actually go binge consume video on YouTube. But as you said about Facebook, Facebook's totally the highway that you open and give a few scrolls to when you have a free second. And if something looks cool, you might click and go check that out, right? But it is very rare that I watch anything for longer than a minute on Facebook. So, I mean, this makes perfect sense. So here's Um, what we did. We made 60 second videos instead. Okay. So this is the key take home. So we made trailers of the journey square 60 seconds on Facebook. And we decided to pull the journey off of all the other platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, dot, 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 dot. And we just made 60 second trailers. And here's the good news on Facebook. People are watching for 60 seconds. Mm. Um, a big chunk of them are actually getting to the call to action, which is at about the 45 second mark. So what I'm here to tell you is video people do watch on Facebook, but it's got to be short, less Mm. than two minutes. And that's the reprogramming that we have to have in our mind. 60 seconds, snackable, high impact video does work on Facebook. Anything longer than that, you're probably wasting your time and money. It's so true. And that's why... Facebook is pushing for such shorter formats now. I mean, obviously, you know, we've got the 60 second limitation on Instagram unless it's on IGTV. You've got the two to three minute video, which is pretty much that used to be the type of video that we would use almost a 90 plus percent of all our ads at our agency. Right now, we're probably between 15 and 60 seconds. Wow. The max. So it's really more of an animation than it is a video, right? Totally. It, it depends on what it is, but I mean, you can get a product pitch in in 15 seconds, believe it or not, but you can also get a fair amount of content. You can squeeze a two to three minute video into a 60 second block and you're getting a much higher percentage of view, percentage of engagement. So I think that the platform has definitely changed a lot in the last three years. This is the key message I want everyone to receive. You must understand how people behave on the platform. Molly said it. People on YouTube, they lean back and they consume content. On Facebook, that's not how they operate. Not anymore. And as a matter of fact, people are spending less and less time on Facebook now than they used to because they're getting upset with Facebook. You know, Ralph asked me earlier, is it because you don't like Facebook? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not because I don't like Facebook. I, I, you know, I love Facebook. It's just when people use it differently, we need to get smart, people, and stop just republishing stuff just because you can. And here's the thing. Some people are saying, well, what have I got to lose? And this is the part everybody needs to understand. You have everything to lose because the algorithm is your enemy. And I got to tell you, the second I put out that two-minute public service message, Molly, you're going to get shocked. I had people come out of the woodwork saying, this is the first video I've seen from you in two years, and I've been C first. You know what that means, right? I've not seen any of your content for two years. We've been publishing four videos a week for two years. So the algorithm (laughs) will punish you if you do not have engaging content. Yeah, we were actually talking about that just this week, how engagement is such an important part of what is now the algorithm. And since I actually went on your podcast, the algorithm's changed even more so just in those three to six months. But engagement is so key because there's just another advertiser, a scroll away, and Facebook is trying to keep that experience as positive as possible, you know, positive human interactions. And that results from positive, engaging content. So it totally stands to reason that, you know, the long form video, the 15 minute ones that we used to run two, three years ago, we don't run anymore. 
You know, believe it or not, that's actually what we used to do, but not relevant in this time and age. So glad to hear we're aligned in our thinking. (laughs) Yeah, totally is true. But having said that, you do need some video that is a little bit longer, some that's shorter. That's where live video comes in. You know, I mean, like there's some some highly engaging live video does still make sense. You know, like we have our live show there every Friday. There's a lot of engagement that happens there. We know that people generally don't ever come back and watch it. That's the other thing everybody needs to understand is that the live video will not be watched after it's live. Even though it might show that it is, it's really not. So when you go live, you need to be there for the people, not trying to game the algorithm. Right. It's a shared experience. I think that's a big part of it. Even a few years ago, I think about two years ago, we did a weekly Facebook Live. Right when Facebook Live came out on the Digital Marketer page, we had a set. It was super fancy. I'm actually at the Digital Marketer office right now. I was reminiscing with the video guy about this earlier because it was a complete pain in the ass, right, to get this to live stream on Facebook at the time. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a hit. I was like, cool, this is our podcast, but in a different form. And we would get questions and we would get a few thousand views, but it never grew, right? I think that's something else. There wasn't momentum like you see on a podcast or a blog. Facebook just isn't really built that way. And guys, we're not saying that video on Facebook is bad, right? Like we've been saying, we still use a ton of video in ads right? Especially if you're wanting to demonstrate a product or build that relationship or catch someone's attention. But really fascinating that you did the numbers on this, Mike, and moved over to YouTube. So are you continuing on YouTube? Yeah, we're all in on YouTube. And I just had to swallow my pride and know that I'm not going to get like five (laughs) to 16,000 views like I did on Facebook, you know? But but when you really dig into the data, you realize those aren't really views. You know what I mean? They're just, it's just brand exposure and it's hurting us, you know? So the reality, folks, is we live in a world where it's all changing. But if I could just bring it all back home, the key to everything nowadays is to create content wherever your audience is in a way that will be consumable for them. And that's the key, right? Like just because it's always worked doesn't mean it will work in the future. So Mm -hmm. today we know people still read. We know people still listen. We know people still watch, but it's all about making the content appropriate for the platform. Well, I think that's the perfect way to end it and uh, great lessons here. And wow, thanks for coming on. And we're really agreeing on like how we approach this social media platform. Does I that surprise you? <laughs> we, had, we had talked about the death of organic traffic last time. So, well, that we came true, didn't media. it? It did. It did. It did. Definitely go back to that episode. Definitely go to the Social Media Examiner site and check out Social Media Marketing World. Ralph and I will both be there in March, but it's just a really awesome conference. Of course, the content's great, but the people, like the way that you facilitate the networking and the energy at that event, Mike, makes a huge difference. So that is a do not miss conference uh, for 2019, everybody. Yeah, which by the way, if you haven't picked up your tickets, where can you actually get them? Socialmediaexaminer.com. You'll see ads. Well, I guess I could call them ads. You'll see promotions. <laughs> You'll see promotions that may not look like ads, but it's built in all over the place. And yeah, we would love people to come out to San Diego. It's a really unique experience. It's all about bringing the best experts in the world like Molly and Ralph along with making connections. And that's really what we're hearing from our customers that they love the most about the conference is that the connections that we make easy for them to make 
are the reason why they keep coming back. Yeah, and if you live in a cold weather state, March 20th through the 22nd, 2019, come to sunny San Diego. Guaranteed to be no snow. That's it, and no colds, nothing like that. So awesome to have you on the podcast. Aside from socialmediaexaminer.com, is there any other ways that people can connect with you? Yeah, if you guys have room to throw another podcast into your listening routine, check out Social Media Marketing. That is my show. We're a weekly show, and we talk about pretty much the kind of stuff that we talked about at the tail end of this interview, and Molly's been on there multiple times, Ralph has been on there, and I bring on really the top experts in the world, social media marketing. Awesome. Very cool. So all these resources will be in the show notes at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 178. Mike Stelzner, thanks for coming on a second time. I have a feeling there's going to be a third time. I would love it. Yeah, so great having you on today and dropping the knowledge bombs and giving all those people who are thinking about building a blog but were giving up hope, hope again. So really enjoyed you having on. So till next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.